As we begin this morning, I invite you to turn or to scroll to Colossians chapter 1. And I want to begin this morning with a question. When you think of communion, the Lord's table, what comes to mind? What do you think of when we and other congregations or other believers in various settings come together and observe communion? You might know that... um, That Last Supper was a pivot. It was perhaps one of the most remarkable pivots in the history of pivots. When Jesus himself redefined what was happening. When we cross from one covenant with God to another. You know that for centuries the Jews had and continue to celebrate the Passover. This powerful reminder of redemption when God saved them from hundreds of years of slavery to the Egyptians. When he specifically prescribed you are to take a young male lamb and you are to slay that lamb and you are to capture its blood. And you are to apply it upon the doorpost of your home. There was only one door in and out of your home. Because on that, at that moment, at that moment when you would finally leave your home for the very last time as slaves, you would pass through the blood of the lamb as you left and you would never look back. For centuries, the Jews... Remember that. Remember God's gracious hand of redemption. Now remember, in that last supper, Jesus said some very remarkable things. He changed. He developed that narrative. The focus was no longer upon that lamb, that young male lamb without defect, but upon the sinless and blameless Son of God, the Lamb Slain for the sins of the world. Jesus said, this bread is my body. I am going to give myself for you. He said, this cup. Remember, there's four cups. The third is the cup of redemption. He took that cup after supper and he said, this cup is the blood of the new covenant, which I, I will shed my own blood for you. And so the Israelites, they remembered the Passover because there was an inheritance for them. They were redeemed. They were saved from slavery and they were on their way to the promised land to their inheritance. Saints. What Jesus spoke of was a heavenly inheritance. Being saved from the marketplace of sin. From the power and the penalty and the dominion of sin. And of the devil himself. And this is what we remember. As we observe communion together. A tangible and a powerful reminder that we are unconditionally loved that we have a hope 
that we have an inheritance laid up for us in heaven. Now, why do I speak of communion this morning? We're in the middle of a prayer, an apostolic prayer, that Paul prays for the Colossians that we should be praying for one another as well. Paul gives reasons this morning as we progress in the short passage behind his prayer for the Colossians. This prayer is saturated with rich and beautiful and breathtaking theology about the gospel, about Christ, about the blood (coughs) that was shed. Now, I have to take a moment and just remind ourselves to be balanced, and here's what I mean. Sometimes, I think some of you would prefer for a pastor to stand and just tell us what to do. How do we live our lives? Which, that should happen. But there's another part of it, and we see this principle in all of Paul's letters, that is, Paul first labors to tell us who we are in Christ and gives us the why behind the what. This is why you are to live in a certain way. You are separate, you are set apart, you are blessed. And so this part in the letter, we are focusing on the theology, who we are in Christ. But I promise you, as we go through this letter, we will begin to focus more on, okay, well, what do we do in light of that? But before you know how, what to do in light of it, you need to know what the it is. Last week, we examined the essence of this prayer Three primary points, position, progress, and power. Our strong position, our posture of knowing what God has to say about us, what is true about us in Christ, what is true about Jesus Christ, what is true about the gospel, who we now are as followers of Jesus Christ and members of his church. But we don't stop there. We don't simply bring in knowledge for knowledge's sake. We act upon that, and that's the progress. We grow. We progress into maturity. We develop as Christians into maturity, to a deeper walk with the Lord. In light of what we know to be true, by the transforming, the renewing of our minds, we are transformed and our life begins to look very differently than when we did not know Christ. But we don't do any of this in our own power. And that's what Paul prays for specifically, that the Holy Spirit would strengthen us, would help us, would encourage us, and... That we would enjoy that special touch, if you will, of the Lord. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who preached in London a generation or two ago, he talked about his preaching being logic on fire. That is the truth of the gospel, yes, but it's on fire because the Holy Spirit sets it on fire. All of this, this concept, is summed up so beautifully in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. I therefore, as a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner of the calling to which you have been called. Paul is praying that the truth of the gospel will settle into our hearts and our minds and our life will reflect who we are in Christ and who has called us into his glory. Now, 
Paul will continue in our verses this morning to talk about three very specific anchors for this. All of these are gospel truths. Our inheritance. We have been rescued or delivered. And we are redeemed. This is the gospel in a nutshell. So let's read through our text this morning together. Colossians chapter 1. We're going to back it up to where we were last week. Verse 9. Chapter 1. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified or fitted you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us, rescued us, from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Oh, saints, this is rich. This is the gospel upon which we stand. It is why we are and should be different from all those around us. So let us this morning give consideration to the essence of the gospel. Why Paul is praying for us in this way. And here's the thing. You may have woken up this morning not feeling any of this. Which is why I'm here. To tell you to believe what is true about you according to God's word. And not about what you feel. So the first concept inheritance oftentimes when we talk about the gospel we will put it in terms of what we are saved from excuse me (coughs) we talk about being saved from hell being saved from the wrath of god and that is true but notice in this case it is inversed it is reversed Paul first speaks about what our inheritance is, what we have been saved to. The Israelites had the promise of the promised land. That was their inheritance, the promised land, their own land in which God would bless them. Our inheritance is so much more than geography. Our inheritance is heavenly. It is heaven itself, and it is all the blessings associated with eternal life, where every tear will be wiped away, where there will be no temptation, no sorrows. (coughs) Excuse me. No grief, 
with the Lord forever. That is our inheritance. To be co-heirs with Jesus Christ. But he says something very fascinating. He says that God has qualified us for this inheritance. He has fitted us for this inheritance. Now, what does he mean when he says that? Because think about it. If God had to qualify you for said inheritance, what does that mean before, about you before you were qualified? You were not qualified. Take your Bibles and turn a little bit to the left, to the book of Ephesians. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 2. A great summation I have just a cup of water from someone could get me a cup every once in a while. I apologize. There is a wonderful summation of this qualification for us. Look at verse 11. And he's speaking in terms of Jews and Gentiles. He says, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember, now watch this, that you were at that time separated from Christ. Thank you, homie. Uh, you were separated from Christ. You were apart from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. And you were strangers to the covenants of promise. This was a new concept for us. These, this special relationship with God. The covenants, the promises. <clears throat> we had no hope. And without God in the world. No hope. And without God. So when scripture says that we have been fitted and qualified for this inheritance. When he sent his son. And we placed our faith in his son. We now participate in the full blessings of God himself. God is our inheritance. We have a relationship with him. We know him. We know him personally. So let us not skip over that little part. He's qualified us for the inheritance of the saints. And watch what he says. In light. I think he is putting the focus on the fact that this inheritance really is a lot more than what we are talking about in the Old Testament, right? Not a piece of land, but this is eternal. This is heavenly. Remember, John would always draw the contrast between light and darkness. You're now, as we'll see in just a moment, 
We are now a part of the inheritance in light. Now, why is it so important that we remember this, that Paul wants us to know these things? Last week, I spoke of my grandparents, and this is something I grew up hearing about. The revival in the Congo, the blessing that they got to see the saints revived in their faith because they had been distracted by the mundane, by the day to day, all the little things in life. The Congolese and even the British missionaries, they had lost their focus. But through a series of events, the Lord focused. And the Lord touched them. And they were filled with joy. Their worship was passionate. (laughs) I don't know if they coughed or not, but... They were so passionate in their walk with the Lord. And all of it was because they began to focus themselves once again upon their heavenly inheritance. The second concept is that we have been rescued or delivered. Now, let me tell you something. Why is this such an important concept? Why does Paul put this right in the middle of this discussion or this prayer? Let me ask you a question. Culturally speaking today, do you think culture informs us That we stand in need of being rescued? I'm just here to tell you that is not the case. It is countercultural to talk about this. The gospel is countercultural. The gospel informs each and every one of us. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The gospel informs us plainly that each and every one of us stands in need of deliverance. And this is why Paul is bursting out as he prays. He is praying for them. Because we have been delivered. We have been rescued From our sins, but specifically, we have been rescued from the dominion of darkness. Look at what he says. We have been rescued from sitting under the dominion, the power of the devil himself. But it doesn't stop there. We weren't just saved from something. We're saved to something. So he says we were rescued from the dominion of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of his son, Jesus Christ. Now, what does it say about Jesus Christ? Look at your text. The kingdom of his son Whom he loves. Why is that important? (coughs) Now I just drank that too quickly. Um, Why is that important? Because now. Remember the baptism of Jesus. 
This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Jesus is the one. He is the promised one. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ who has come, who would bear our sins. Now I invite you to look in the Gospel of John, chapter 17. John chapter 17. I've referenced this once before. I think it's important for us to truly see this. Because what's true about Christ in many ways is true about us in the gospel. Because we are united with Christ. When you doubt God's love for you, when you doubt your worth in his eyes, I want you to meditate and reflect upon this verse. Verse 23 of John chapter 17. This is Jesus praying the high priestly prayer. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Please let that sink in for a moment. God's love for you is the same for the love that he has for Christ. That is astonishing. Here's what all of this looks like. Look at, I'm just going to read to you Romans chapter 5, verse 17. It's on the screen. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of, of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. He does not say that you will reign in the future. That's true. He says you reign now. In Christ. You reign in Christ. Let that be your reflection. Let that be what is what you know to be true about yourself. Tony Evans put it this way. He calls it God's kingdom agenda. The visible demonstration of the comprehensive rule of God over every area of life. I think Dr. Evans put that very well for us. When it says that we have been transferred and rescued from one domain to another, we are now in God's kingdom. We're now under the loving and safe rule of Jesus Christ. Third and final. He says that we have been redeemed. Redeemed means to be bought out of, to be purchased. So, in a sense, we have been bought out of, we've been redeemed from the power and the slavery of sin. And we've been given a heavenly inheritance. I invite you to turn back to Ephesians chapter 2. The beginning of that passage. 
what this looks like, what it means. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in, one, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom you all, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, And were by nature children of wrath. Like the rest of mankind. That's the truth of the gospel. Those of us who know the Lord personally. We look at this and we say yes and amen. And praise God. That he has rescued us. Praise God. For his mercy. Praise God. For the blood of Jesus Christ. That was shed for sinners. Like you. And me. Praise God. That he has rescued us. That he has taken us out of the devil's dominion. And has given us. The forgiveness. Of sins. We're quick to talk about that, but notice it actually comes at the end here. The forgiveness of our sins is so beautiful. All of my wrongs are washed away. All of my mistakes, all everything is wiped clean. Because when God sees me, he sees Christ. Now you stop for a moment. This is what Paul is giving thanks to God for. We don't answer for our sins in that sense. We are completely forgiven. Not in part, but the whole. Gone. It's done with. Because Christ suffered for us. He bought us out of the dominion of sin and into the kingdom of his son, Jesus Christ. Now I encourage and I exhort us to reflect long and hard on these truths. They will give you such joy and perspective in your own Christian life. And you will find that they will motivate you to serve the Lord even more. Because you will have a glad heart. Now I want to point out one thing there's a transition area that kind of gets lost in between the three points of last week and the and the three points of this week there are three very important words that paul speaks to at the end of verse 11 endurance patience and joy that is what paul's prayer is For us. That as we talk about the power of the Holy Spirit. That the Spirit himself would give us endurance. As we face trials and temptations and griefs and disappointments and hurts and temptations. Which we do on a regular basis. It is a part of life. How many of you this morning know that you need endurance? You need God's strength and help to continue on. 
And this is exactly what he speaks to, patience. But underneath all of that is joy. Because of what lies ahead. Because of what is ahead, what God has done for us, that joy that is not dependent upon our circumstances. Happiness is oftentimes tied or tethered to what we're experiencing. But Christian joy is not the same thing. That's why Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Why? Because your rejoicing is not in the situation that you're facing. Because if that were true, you wouldn't be rejoicing. But he says in every storm, in every circumstance, in every trial, we can and we should rejoice in the Lord. Because he will never leave us. He will never, ever forsake us. And there is one last word. The beginning of verse 12. Giving thanks. My friends, the root The essence, the foundation of the gospel for each and every one of us is a thankful heart. How can we ever adequately give thanks to God for what he has done for us? How can we ever stop giving thanks to God? I promise you. When people see us to be a people of joy and a people of gratitude, it sets us apart. Jesus said, by this will all men know that you are my followers, my disciples. Your love one for another. And how do we love one another? Because it's not always easy if we're honest. How do we love one another? From gratitude in our heart to the Lord. And thankfulness for all that he has done. As we set our minds on the the hope before us, it fills us with joy. One last verse, my parting shot to you this morning. Because I want you to hear it from another apostle's lips. First Peter. It is indeed over the years has been one of my go-to's. But Peter actually talks about the very things that Paul talks about in stunning fashion. This is a corollary passage to Ephesians 2 where he talks about us being strangers to the promise. Peter now turns to Christians, Jew and Gentiles. And he uses all the terminology from the Old Testament, verse 9, 1 Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. This is who you are in Christ. A people for his own possession. Now, why? 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 What is your mission in life? What is your mission in life? In light of what God has gifted you. That we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Precisely what Paul just said. Rescued from the dominion of darkness. Transferred into the kingdom of his son. Participating 
in the inheritance of the saints in light. Make this your ambition, particularly this week. To think long and hard and reflect upon God's goodness to you. And to use that truth in your life in all things, in your words, in your attitude, in your interactions with people, to declare the excellencies of him. You will never go wrong when you do that. You will never go wrong when you are focused and you speak up to the excellencies of our Lord. Would you join me for prayer? I sincerely hope that the essence of the gospel is an enormous encouragement to each and every one of us this morning. When we consider all that the Lord has done for us. We say it every week. The beauty and the power and the simplicity of the good news of Jesus Christ. Christ died for sinners. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. We must come to a place where we recognize and acknowledge our own sin. And we see God's holiness. We see our need for rescue. And we place our faith in the person and the work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Not our efforts, not our performance, but his. It's beautiful. Let's pray together. Again, most gracious Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for everything you have done for us. Lord, we surely face so many difficulties in life. Our hearts are weighed down by the sin and the grief and the violence we see around us. Oh Lord, refresh our hearts. Renew and transform us through the renewing of our mind. And may we live accordingly. Lord, we pray that you would fill our cup. That you would calibrate us, refresh and comfort us, sustain us. We know that we face many difficulties. And we know, particularly in a group this large, that there will be many whose hearts are heavy this morning. Help us, comfort us, strengthen us. And, oh, Lord, may we be good news to those around us. The world needs good news. To bypass the foolishness that is espoused in this and every generation, 
that is not in accordance with the truth of God. But after the humbling of the gospel, there's freedom. When we believe in Christ, when we cease from our efforts and our intent to win your approval through our performance, but rest and trust completely and solely in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Lord, we always pray if there are folks here this morning or in the sound of my voice in the future who have not turned to you and put their faith in Jesus, that today would be the day of their salvation. We give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.